Well, good morning. morning. Hey, you guys can be seated. Absolutely great. Um, So just, (laughs) yeah, you know what to do. (laughs) All right. Um, So you you, you see I'm a little restricted up here, so I just want to say this up front. Um, If I don't come over here as much, it's not because I'm restraining from giving you love, okay? And if I come over here more, it's not because I think you all over here are particularly sinful, okay? It's just um, I don't want to get caught in the waterfall and then slip and, you know. So I'm going to try to be balanced and give you all the adequate love and sinful, you know, looks or whatever you want, okay? But just, just so you know, nothing personal. Okay, um, so uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark this morning. So if you uh, want to turn your Bible to the book of Mark, if you need a Bible, there should be some Bibles on the chairs in front of you. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning. You can turn, uh, if you're using one of those Bibles from the chairs, page um, 1144, 1144 in those Bibles there. So Mark chapter 10, uh, we're going to be in verse 13 is where we're going to start. And if you're using the pew Bible, it'll be page 1144. Uh, While you're turning there, let me ask a question for you. Have you ever been in a position where you were trying to get your point across to someone and you felt like you were just going up against a brick wall? Okay, now don't turn to your spouse. I heard that all the time. Sorry, rhetorical. (laughs) Your spouse is not even here. (laughs) All right, um, but you just feel like, man, I'm going up against the brick wall. I I thought they got this and now I'm seeing them do it all over again and so now I've got to re-explain it another way. Been there? Been there? Yeah, okay, nods. I see kids nodding. I don't see parents nodding. So the kids are saying, yep, feel like that against my parents? Oh, I don't know. Okay. This is what we find going on once again in the book of Mark with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has been teaching them. He's been trying to get a point across. And yet again, they make the same mistake or they operate in the same misunderstanding. And so yet again, Jesus is going to come around and have to teach them again. So Mark chapter uh, nine, uh, 10, sorry, verse 13, and we're going through verse 16. So just a few verses this morning. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Now the people were bringing little children to him for him to touch, but the disciples scolded those who brought them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not try to stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. After he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. All right, so uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the kingdom this morning. We're going to get into that a little bit, but here's, here's what I want you to understand right up front. Here's where I think Jesus is going this morning with his disciples and therefore with us. Uh, how you receive the kingdom will determine if you enter the kingdom. Okay, how you receive the kingdom, so that's going to be your manner, your attitude, how you receive the kingdom will determine whether you enter the kingdom. Okay, so, so Jesus' disciples, especially the, the 12, the close ones that have been following him for the last couple of years, um, they've heard Jesus talk about the kingdom. In fact, that's been the, the thrust of his message has been a repent because the kingdom of God is near. And so uh, that would not have been an unfamiliar phrase to them, maybe like it is to us today, because maybe we don't talk about kingdoms, especially in America, we don't talk about kingdoms a whole lot. But to Jesus' listeners, the kingdom would have been a familiar concept to them. However, what, what had taken place, as with many other people, the disciples had a misunderstanding of what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom. You see, when he says kingdom of God, they have something that comes to mind. They, they have a picture, they have an image of what comes to mind, but it's not the same thing that Jesus is talking about. 
See, in their minds, they're looking at their physical situation. They're seeing that them, the, the Israelites, the, the Jewish people, are supposedly supposed to be God's chosen people, God's promised people. I mean, God has had a special relationship with these people for, for centuries. All of a sudden, for years now, they have found themselves to be under the rule of other nations. In this case, the Romans. And so they're looking at that saying, well, we certainly aren't, aren't ruling in our own kingdom. We aren't living in the kingdom that God has promised. And so when they thought about the kingdom of God, they had grown to think about a revolution, an overthrow of a physical government. When they hear Jesus say the kingdom of God is near, they're thinking these Roman guys, Caesar and all his, all his, his armies, they're about to be overthrown. This is finally going to happen. There's going to be an overthrow of the government, and now God's king is going to come and sit on the throne. That's not an entirely wrong understanding of the kingdom. It's just not entirely right either. They've only got part of the picture. See, so uh, here's, here's kind of the, the, the sum of what the kingdom of God uh, is supposed to be and how they should have been understanding it. See, it is both physical and spiritual, okay? And that's, that's where they had kind of gone wrong. They had detached the physical from the spiritual. And so when they heard kingdom of God, they're thinking physical, physical king, overthrow physical government, and we live in our physical land with physical peace. And that's true. That is part of God's kingdom that he has taught his people throughout centuries. And if you read through the Old Testament, you are going to find that. God has indeed promised that the people of Israel, who he has made promises to, will, fu- will receive the fulfillment of those promises, and it will involve a physical king, God's king. It will involve physical land, a physical government here on the physical earth. God is going to, to bring that kingdom here, but that's where they stopped. And, and much kind of like we do in our, in our Western way of thinking, uh, they were separating the physical from the spiritual. But here's the reality. When it comes to God, the one who has created all things, and God, who the Bible says is spirit, for him, the physical is spiritual, and the spiritual is manifested in the physical. They, they don't separate. See, we do that in our Western way of thinking, but that is not the norm. You, you, you get that? That distinction that we make, that's not the norm. That's not how, how people for centuries have thought. That has come up on the scene in the last few centuries. And so for, for God's kingdom to be understood properly, it must include both the physical and the spiritual. Simply put, God's kingdom is this. It's God's rule and his reign over his creation. It's his rule and his reign over his creation. And so God's kingdom, in one sense, is, is always present because God is always in control, but it was really manifest in the Garden of Eden. When God created the, the first humans, his, his, his prized creation, if you will, because it was upon them, his, his very special creation that we read in Genesis, uh, he made them male and female, and he made them in the image of of God. That's the only creation of all things that God created. Humanity are the only ones said to be made in the image of God. And that was done very intensely by God because his plan was that humanity would come and represent God to the creation. Humanity would represent God's rule and reign over creation, which is why in Genesis chapter 1, God tells the, 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 uh, Adam and Eve, now go and rule. Go and exercise dominion over the creation. That was God's plan for them. That was how God's kingdom was going to be manifested in this physical creation was through his representatives. But you know the story that that Adam and Eve, they gave into temptation with the Satan, uh, with the serpent, Satan. And so now ever since then, God's kingdom has kind of been twisted so that we don't see it uh, as, as it should be here on earth. 
And so there's a spiritual element to his kingdom and there's a physical, and they're not supposed to be separated. But for right now, God's physical creation, where you and I live, we're not seeing a whole lot of God's kingdom. Okay, I mean, is that a fair statement? If God's kingdom is supposed to include peace and there's supposed to be a king on the throne ruling with all justice, that's not taking place right now. But it will. And, and this is why it matters to us, and this is why we have to continue to understand and talk about God's kingdom, because God's kingdom is not going away. God's kingdom, in fact, is going to be restored. God's kingdom on this earth will be restored, and God's kingdom overall is going to be restored. And God is still going to, to let his kingdom be represented through a person, rule, uh, ruled by a person, his king. And so as we read through the scriptures, we, we start to get an understanding that Jesus is going to be God's king. He's going to come. He's going to rule and represent God's rule and reign over this creation here. And God's kingdom will be restored. And um, so the uh, disciples didn't quite get all of that. They were just looking for a physical government, a revolution, overthrow these Romans, install our king, let's move on and celebrate. Now, as such, that comes within a wrong way of living, and a wrong way of thinking. And so here we've got in verses 13, uh, we see that Jesus, once again, he's drawing a crowd. But this time people are starting to bring their kids to him. Now you may remember from a few weeks ago when we looked at the other passage in chapter 9 about kids. Kids are not exalted in this society like we do today. See, today, today we value kids. We, we try to uplift them in society, and so we have, we have adoption programs, and we have uh, programs where we put them on TV with, with, with sad, sappy music uh, singing, and they're, they're designed to invoke your, your, your heartstrings and to, to invoke your emotions so that you'll give money to support these kids because the kids are uplifted. They're valuable. They're, they're important. They shouldn't be overlooked. Uh, in your household, uh, if you're, you're a loving parent or any kind of semblance of a loving parent, you love your kids, you treat them well, and that was not the case in that society. Kids were invaluable. Some of the most insignificant people in all of society because they couldn't contribute anything. And particularly, the, the younger they were, the more insignificant they were. They had nothing to bring to the table. You can't work. You can't contribute to society. Uh, you, you have no rights. And especially if you were a girl and not a boy, it was even worse for you. There, there, was, there was no value placed on the kids. It was only when they got older and were able to start contributing. So imagine now Jesus, uh, highly regarded by his 12 followers. This is the king. It's just a matter of time before he steps into Jerusalem, overthrows the Roman government, sits on the throne, and then now all these 12 are going to be sitting right next to him. This is the guy. Imagine then. When they see people, parents, bringing their infants to Jesus, asking him to touch them, asking, just bless my child, just pray over my child. It'd be kind of like a, a child dedication like you might see here. Just pray over him, except I'm not Jesus. Okay? Newsflash. Anybody? Okay. Amen, indeed. I should have heard more amens on that one. All right. Um, they're looking at this going, why is he wasting his time? Why is he going to stop and he's going to take time and touch these kids. He's going to lay his hands on these kids. They, they, they can't learn from him. It, it's not like he can teach them and they can grow from what he teaches them. This is time not well spent in their opinion. Jesus needs to just move on. He really needs to be investing maybe in adults, adults who can really, really make things happen. Maybe he needs to keep building his team, get the right people so that when he does come into power, he's got the right people in his council. But Jesus, kids, infants, it's a waste of your time. And so they go up to the parents and they rebuke 
the parents. They stop them. They tell them to stop. And, and Mark is so specific. In verse 13, he uses the word rebuke. You know the other place that Mark uses that same word? Is when he describes people casting out demons. When Jesus rebukes the demons. That's a strong word. That's how strong the disciples were when they went to these parents bringing the kids and they rebuked them. This wasn't just an under the table, no, 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 just, just step aside. This was flat out, face-to-face, confrontation, rebuke. See my anger. How dare you waste his time? So verse 14 then, when Jesus sees this, he responds with indignation. He was indignant and he said to them, let the children come to me and do not try to stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus' response is even more powerful than that of the disciples. See, the disciples rebuked, but Jesus was indignant. The only place in the gospel of Mark, in any of the gospels, that we read that about Jesus. We read that he's angry in other places, but not the same word. This is a strong word, and only Mark uses it. Strong enough to knock over flowers (laughs) in a fake garden made of noodles. All right. Jesus' word here, indignant, is strong. And it's intentional because his anger is being manifest here. And as soon as he finds out this is what's going on, he tells tells his disciples, stop. Do not prevent them from coming to me. Why? Why, Jesus? Why shouldn't we prevent the kids from coming to you? Well, the rest of verse 14, he says, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That's a big statement. Wait, wait a minute. Okay, imagine you're back in the disciples' position. Your understanding is Jesus is going to go overthrow this government here. He's going to sit on the throne. He's going to be your king. And then he just says to you, these infants, these babies who are helpless, they're dependent, they're vulnerable. They need to be led and guided and fed. They, they can't do anything for themselves. The kingdom of God belongs to them? To, to them. What about me? What about all the things, Jesus, that I can contribute to the kingdom? What about the, the brain that I can bring? I could be your advisor. What about the skills I have here? I can, be, I can, I can contribute here. Jesus says, no, it, it belongs to such as these, people like this. And then he explains what he means in verse 15. He says in verse 15, I tell you the truth, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So remember what the statement I started with up front. How you receive the kingdom will determine if you enter the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is saying right here in verse 15. How you receive the kingdom will determine how you enter it. And that's why he says, I tell you the truth, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So what does he mean? What is he talking about? I think it's going to be helpful for us to pay attention to at least two words in that that verse. And they're the action words. Receive and enter. Okay? Receive and enter. So what does it mean then? Let's look at receivers. What does it mean then to receive the kingdom of God? Well, first thing I want you to notice about receive is it's present. It's now. Whoever does not receive now, you can do that right now. And Jesus is speaking. His listeners could do that right now. Whoever does not receive it. Okay? Whereas enter, look what the words before it. They shall not or will never enter, depending on your translation. Future, okay? So there's, there's a, there, you, you can receive the kingdom now, but you enter it later, okay? There's a part of it now, there's a part of it later. 
All right, so what, what does it mean then to receive the kingdom now? Here's the other thing about the word receive. It's a passive action, right? You, you don't go and you don't attain something. You don't go and, and gain something. You don't work and you earn something. Receiving something is to take it in to yourself. Take it in. You, you take whatever's being given to you, take whatever's being handed to you, and you simply receive it. That's it. It's given, and you receive. So there's something about the now, the present, where a person can receive the kingdom, and the kingdom is given by God. And if you receive it now in the way that Jesus describes, then you will enter it later. Okay? So then he says, okay, the way you receive it has to be like a child, like one of these. So now Jesus is telling it, it's, it's not just about receiving the kingdom, it's about how you receive the kingdom. It's on God's terms, not your terms. You receive the kingdom like a child. How is a child? Now, Jesus is talking specifically about infants, young children, not your five or six-year-old who can talk back to you and thinks they have the right ideas about things, or four-year-olds or eight-year-olds, just so I'm not playing favoritism. (laughs) Uh, So we're talking about infants, helpless, vulnerable, right? They can't bring anything to the table. They're, they're, they don't even have ideas. They, when, a, when a parent says to a young infant, I want you to do this, the young infant can't even do that if they're really an infant, right? The parent has to do it for them. The parent has to give the infant what the infant needs. The parent has to care for the infant as the infant needs to be cared for. There's really nothing an infant can do. It's completely dependent upon the parent. It's completely dependent on someone else, at least. It's helpless. It's vulnerable, It brings nothing to the table. Jesus says that's how you receive the kingdom of God. Like a child. You don't bring anything to the table. You are dependent, helpless. You can't contribute anything. You receive it like a child. The implied contrast is not like an adult, right? An adult, we like to bring our ideas to the table. Well, I don't think that's, that's a great idea. I think it would work better this way. Uh, so Jesus, you're, you're saying that I need to receive the kingdom. Okay, well, I think I'd be willing to receive it if this takes place and if this takes place. What do you think? We got a deal? No, you don't do it like that. God says you receive the kingdom, you do it like a child, not like an adult. You don't bring your grown-up ideas, your grown-up way of thinking, your grown-up way of acting You don't bring that to God. Instead, you must learn to be dependent. You must learn to be vulnerable. You must recognize that that's already your condition before God. And when you recognize that before God, we are but dependent, helpless, vulnerable, in need of teaching, in need of guidance, in needing taken care of, then you're in a position to receive God's kingdom. Now, that's important because it's important to understand that that is the plot of every single person. That is the state that every single one of us are born into. The Bible calls that sin. So you don't ever have to do a thing and you're still guilty before God of being sinful. See, we don't like that. See, what what we oftentimes like to think is, well, I, I understand sin is I do things that are wrong. That's only part of it. You see, you could, you could do everything right But still before God, unless something in us changes, 
we are still considered sinful before God because of sin's impact from the very beginning in the garden. Remember when God's kingdom was kind of of twisted up? Ever since that day, sin has just been passed down from generation to generation to generation so that every single person who's ever born is born in a sinful state before God. You're corrupted. You're, you're not holy. You're not pure. Now, I know that's hard to believe looking into your one, two-week-old, two-month-old, three-month-old. I know. I've been having the same thoughts the last few weeks. God, looking at this little girl here really makes me question whether or not, but give it about a, three more months. <laughs> Maybe. Definitely wait till they're two or three. And there's no question. You look at your kids and you're going, where did you learn that? I didn't teach you that. I didn't model that for you. It's just, in, that's just in part of you. Someone's laughing because I think they, they get this. Okay. We are all born in that state. We have to acknowledge that. We have to understand that because once we do, then we have a proper understanding of how we are before God. God who is holy, God who is perfect. And then it makes a whole lot more sense why God would say, you have to come to me like a child. If you come to me thinking you can bring something, you don't got it figured out because you can't bring anything to God. There is nothing that you or I can put before God and say, see, does that, does that get me in? See, are you pleased with that? There's nothing about us that is pleasing to God. Instead, what he does is he makes us pleasing through his son, through Jesus. And so part of receiving the kingdom, it has at least two aspects, and they're very closely related. The first aspect would be this. To receive the kingdom of God like a child means to believe in Jesus by faith. Okay, that's it. To receive God's kingdom is to trust in Jesus, his death and his resurrection. Not his death and his resurrection plus whatever I do after that. Not his death and his resurrection plus baptism. Not his death and his resurrection plus whatever else you may bring to the table. None of that. It's his death and his resurrection on our behalf. It's understanding that Jesus came, he lived a perfectly obedient life, which you and I can't do. He obeyed God's standard 100%, which we can't do. He did that for us so that when he died, he was taking our place, which we actually deserve, the punishment of God, which is death, according to Romans 6.23. And all of the wrath of God was put upon Christ at the cross. So all of God's punishment and wrath towards sin is being poured upon Christ. And that was for you and that was for me. And then Christ dies. Three days later, he raises from the dead and he reveals himself to his closest followers and some 500 more people, proving that he really did accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish. And then God now requires of us, trust that. Trust him. Because if we trust him, if we put all of our eggs in that basket, if we put it all on Christ, then God says, I give you his righteousness. I give you his obedience. And then God looks at us through that and says, now I'm pleased because I'm pleased in my son, Christ. That's what it's supposed to be like to receive the kingdom of God as a child. You bring nothing to the table. Now, that's the first aspect. We, that, we might call that our initial salvation. Okay? That, the Bible would call that salvation. The Bible would call that justification. Uh, in, in, in the book of Romans, you'll read about that. That's what we're talking about here, our initial salvation. I believe in Christ, therefore I'm saved. I get born again. Receiving the kingdom of God as a child includes that. But it also includes 
the second aspect, which is very closely related, and that's what we would call in the, in the Bible discipleship, uh, sanctification. It's the process of growing in Christ. It's what it looks like to follow Jesus every day as a follower of Christ. It's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, you may remember I've told you that Mark is primarily writing to a church in Rome who is enduring persecution. And one of the main reasons that Mark is writing his gospel is so that the church in Rome knows what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ in the midst of what they're going through. Mark is primarily writing to to the people in Rome so that they know how to live as followers of Christ. So look at the disciples now. The disciples, those 12 who've been following Jesus around, they're having to learn some tough lessons because so far in the last few chapters, we've seen Jesus say, hey, you want to follow me? You want to be great? You actually got to learn to be the least and you got to serve everyone. That kind of flips leadership on its head. And then he says, hey, if you want to follow me, if you've got something in your life that's causing you to sin, even if it's significant and in your mind indispensable, you've got to amputate that from your life. Remember that's where he said, gouge your eye out, cut your foot out, cut your, 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 leg off, your, your hand off. And he says, hey, if you want to follow me, that impacts your marriage and what you believe about divorce. And so he's put some pretty challenging things before his disciples. And yet they're continuing to struggle with understanding what it looks like to follow Christ. Because here again now, we see the very insignificant children, they've not learned that lesson about being the least, being a servant of all. They still have some kind of elitism, some kind of um, superiority complex about them. And Jesus says, no, you want to follow me? You want to receive the kingdom? Part of receiving the kingdom means receiving my call to follow me in all that it looks like. Receiving the kingdom includes receiving Jesus' call to follow him, as radical as that may be, because he's thrown out some pretty radical things for his followers, and they're still radical in our society today. You mean something that brings me pleasure? Maybe it's not harming anyone else, but yeah, I know the Bible would probably speak against it, but I've got to take that out of my life if I want to follow Christ? I want to, if I want to receive the kingdom, I've got to take that out of my life? Yeah. You mean when it comes to my marriage, you mean divorce, not a good idea? No, no. You, you, mean, you mean I've got to, I've got, I can't take opportunities and really boast in being a leader. I, instead, if I want to be great in your kingdom, Jesus, I've actually got to look for opportunities to serve? Yeah. That's hard to swallow. That goes against, that goes against everything outside of here that you're going to hear. But Jesus says, you want to follow me, You want to receive the kingdom. It means receiving my call to live like I live, to follow me in my teachings, in my living. So here's here's what he's saying here. If you receive the kingdom like a child, it means when Jesus calls you to do something, you don't get to bring your adult ideas to the table. Now, I, I understand that that was true in that time. That was culturally true. Not so today. We've we've grown past that. No, that's an adult idea. That would not be receiving it like a child. Um, Jesus, no, no. you see, you don't, you don't understand the workplace, Jesus, because they didn't have that when you were around. You know, now if I want to get promoted, I've got to promote myself. I've got to boost myself. No, no. See, that doesn't, that doesn't change either. Jesus says, you've got to receive it like a child. If you're receiving it like a child, you don't bring anything to the table. You don't get to push back against Jesus' ideas and, and his instruction. You don't get to say, I take that, but I don't take that because... To be honest, I don't like that. But this I can deal with. It's comfortable for me. 
Infants don't do that. Infants don't reason. Infants don't negotiate. They take what's given to them. They are dependent upon the one who gives, and they just receive it. Jesus says, you want to receive the kingdom? It includes receiving my call to follow me. And all that that includes, as hard as that may seem, as radical as that may seem, as countercultural as that may seem. And then he says, the one who receives my kingdom like a child, uh, if you do not receive my kingdom like a child, you will never enter it. So what does that mean? See, there's a day coming where the king, Christ, will be revealed as the king. He will come back and he will be revealed as the king. The, the current governments that we have, they're not the solution to all the world's problems. They're not going to bring peace. They're not going to you know, feed the hungry. They're not going to fix all the impoverished countries. No government that we have now, no president, no dictator, no prime minister, no ruler will solve any of those problems ever. In fact, every dictator, every ruler, every president, prime minister, any person that is currently in a position of authority is in that position solely because God has allowed them to have that position of authority. Read Romans chapter 13. They're there as God's servants, whether they realize that or not. And as soon as God's ready for them to step down, he will move them down. And he's been doing that for centuries for much powerful governments. But there's going to be a day where all those governments will recognize the true authority in Christ the King. And God will restore his kingdom here on earth. He will restore the earth. And Christ the King will sit on the throne and he will rule with absolute love, absolute justice, grace, and mercy. It'll be unlike any government, any ruler we've ever seen. And in that day, there will be a moment where Jesus is going to stand there. I know you, I don't know you. Enter my kingdom, I don't know you. You never received it. And there's going to be a separating. And you'll either be in the kingdom or you'll be outside of the kingdom. And when you've got the absolute authority sitting on the throne, if you're not in his kingdom as a willing subject, you're outside his kingdom as a rebel. And they will be dealt with. And so Jesus says, you don't receive the kingdom like a child now, present tense. You won't enter it later. So in one sense, if you don't receive Christ, if you don't trust Christ for salvation now, you don't get in later. That's the requirement for citizenship in God's kingdom. You trust Christ. Now that second aspect, though, about following Jesus' call, I actually think that's what Mark is talking about more than the first part. See, I think when it comes to our initial salvation, I don't think Mark's talking a lot about that. We get that more from Paul. I think Mark is writing to his readers more about how you should live as people who have already trusted in Christ. Mark, in a lot of ways, is taking for granted that his readers are already part of the church. They're believers in Christ, and so he's writing them about how you live. And here's the thing. You remember I said uh, we like to separate between physical and spiritual, and, and most everybody else in the world doesn't do that? What we've come to do with regard to salvation is we separate it more than it should be. To be, to be sure, there is a clear moment when a person is saved. A clear moment when a person is justified, born again, and that's when you place your trust in Christ. But very closely right after that, not to be separated as we do, that person is supposed to start growing and living for Christ. And it's a process, and it takes time. But I think what Mark is saying is, uh, through Jesus here, is, hey, if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, you don't receive his call to live and to follow him, you're not going to enter the kingdom because it's likely you've not received it to begin with. 
you're not going to enter the kingdom because it's likely you haven't been saved. Okay? And I want to be careful about how I say this because here's what I'm not saying. Yes, the Bible says, hey, you can tell a, a, a tree by its fruit. Absolutely. Should a person who's placed their trust in Christ, should they be growing? Absolutely. More so than what most of us do. We're, we're more like the book of uh, Hebrews where Paul said, uh, or whoever's writing Hebrews, says to the, to the Hebrews, hey, you guys should be much further along by now. I should be feeding you steak, but I'm still having to feed you milk. I think a lot of us stay in that milk stage because we place our trust in Christ, we get saved, and then we kick back and say, yeah, but I'm not comfortable with that. And that's not really a distinction that the Bible makes. That's a distinction we make. See, because as Mark is, as, as Mark is describing it here, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've placed your trust in Christ, if you've received the kingdom initially, then that should be bearing fruit in your life. You should be continuing to submit your life to Christ and his call to follow him. And if you're not, maybe you never did it to begin with. But here's what I'm not saying to, to us. We're not fruit inspectors. Okay, that's how that gets abused. And so what happens is we, we have these pendulum swings, right? Where, where one person will say, well, if you're truly a believer, then your, your life should evidence it. Well, yeah, you can, you can find that in the Bible, absolutely. And so, but then what people start doing is they say, well, I don't see evidence in your life. And they put themselves as the judge, as the fruit inspector to say, well, this is evidence and that's not. A lot of times what's more likely going on there is they've got the log in their eye while that person, they're focusing on a speck. But then so the pendulum swings, and so what we, what we do then to counteract that so we don't abuse that is we say, no, just get saved. That's important. Do, do I have to change my mind? Well, don't worry about that right now. And that's true. You shouldn't worry about that going, trying, when, when, you're, when you're initially you know, moving toward God. But then we never follow up after a person's been saved and say, but, but by the way, this is what it looks like now to live as a follower of Christ. See, Jesus never led anyone blindly into trusting him. It wasn't, gotcha, now you got to live for me. No, in fact, Jesus would say in other places, in other gospels, you got to count the cost. So when we go and we share the gospel with people, if we have the time, in other words, if it's not just a quick, here, here's my, my gospel presentation, but if you've got the time because you've got a relationship, you share with them what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Don't shy away from saying, yeah, Christ calls us to do some, some radical things. No, uh, see, what, what happens then is we just focus on get saved, get saved, get saved. Got saved, celebrate, great. What next? What next? We've got to continue to follow up. The process of discipleship is exactly that. It's a process. And evangelism is only one event in that process of discipleship. We must be sharing our faith, but we also must be discipling people. We must be teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. We must teach them how to receive the kingdom like a child. And so Jesus says, you want to receive my kingdom, you've got to do it like a child. That means you've got to receive it by faith, and you've got to receive it as I call you to live, like followers of Christ. If you don't receive it in that way, you don't enter the kingdom. So how you receive the kingdom now will determine whether you enter the kingdom later. And then in verse 16, Jesus picks up where he left off. See, Jesus wasn't one who just got angry, preached a little bit, and then sat back. 
He got angry, told them why he's angry, and then he followed through. And he took those kids into his arms, verse 16, and he blessed them. He blessed them. He took the time. He didn't consider it a waste. He took people who were insignificant, helpless, needy, dependent, and he took the time and blessed them. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't make the connection for you. We've got that opportunity this week to model Jesus' attitude toward the insignificant in society, particularly our kids this week. We've got the opportunity to pour into kids this week for the next four nights. It's going to be tired, tiring. It's going to be exhausting. Come Tuesday, you're going to be wondering when Wednesday's getting here. I know. But every day, you now have the opportunity to spend some time investing in some kids. And maybe you're, you're in the nursery. Maybe you're just holding babies. But it's not just holding babies. Because that's the way infants know they're loved. Maybe you change their diaper. That's the way they know they're cared for. Maybe you feed them. That's how they know and learn to trust. Because as you meet their needs, they're cared for. So anytime you serve in a nursery, anytime you serve with our kids, you're not wasting your time. You're following after Christ, who said, you've got to receive the kingdom like a child. And you might even learn as you're doing those things, oh, this is what it's like to receive the kingdom like a child. That child is so simple in the way he thinks or she thinks. I make it so complicated. You mean Jesus says, do this, all I got to do is do it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You mean I don't have to figure out a way to, to, to manipulate that, modify that? No, it's not a workout program. No, you do it. You go all out. How you receive the kingdom now will determine whether you enter it later. So maybe this morning what we need to do is a little bit of heart check. Maybe some of you need to, to ask the Spirit to search you. God, how am I receiving the kingdom? Have I received the kingdom by faith? Have I trusted in Christ already for salvation? If so, God, am I continuing to receive your kingdom like a child? Or have I gotten into a habit of negotiating with you, picking and choosing what I want to do, what I want to follow, who I want to love, how I want to love? Maybe you need to ask the Spirit to search you this morning and show you those areas. Maybe some of you this morning, um, you've never understood, hey, uh, God has a requirement of us to get into his kingdom, and that is to receive it by faith. But maybe what you've been doing is, well, once God does this, then I will. Once God answers this, then I will. Questions are not bad. They're not wrong. Ask them. Sometimes God's going to answer them. Sometimes he's not going to answer them. But still, at the end of the day, whether you get your questions answered or not, the requirement remains the same. Have you received it like a child? Have you received it by faith? Have you trusted in Christ? I'll tell you the truth. Sometimes people's questions that they've been asking for years, they do get answered maybe once they've trusted in Christ. Because at that point, maybe is when they're in a position where they can understand. And maybe it's not. God owes us nothing. Nothing. So if that's you this morning, then, then the requirement is simply that. You stop bringing your adult way of thinking to the table and you trust Christ. You, you, you receive the gift that God has given. So Father, um, we find ourselves in different places.
this morning. And it's a challenging message um, because it's a challenging call to live for Christ. It's not supposed to be easy. And yet, God, we like our comfort. We like our convenience. And yet, Christ, you came and you said, follow me like a child. God, forgive us when we grow up and we try to negotiate with you like we're adults before you, when really we are but helpless, dependent, needy, vulnerable. Show us that, God. Remind us of that so that we don't become arrogant before you. Remind us of our neediness and our sinfulness so that we don't get far from the cross because that levels the playing field for all of us. There is no one beyond need of your grace. But in our adult way of thinking, God, sometimes we think we, we get there and others don't. Forgive us, God, when we prevent others from coming to you by faith because we don't like the way they look, talk, think, act. We ask them to clean themselves up first before they come. God, forgive us for that. I can see you, Christ, saying the very same thing. Do not prevent them from coming to me. And God, so this morning there's some here, maybe, God, you're working on their heart. Maybe this morning your spirit has been uh, softening them and they've, they've understood for the first time They've not received your kingdom. They've not received Christ by faith like a child. So God, I pray now that you will open their heart to understand your great love. Demonstrate it in Christ's death and pour it out for us. That they would take their trust down of whatever it is they're placing it in now. Good works. Going to do it later. God's not real. Whatever they're bringing to the table, God, would you help them to lay that down and then shift their trust from that to Christ? All in. Christ's death is enough. His resurrection, enough. And if you've done that this morning in your heart, if you've believed, the Bible would say you just passed from death to life. Paul would say in Colossians, you've been transferred in your kingdom membership. You've gone now from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, Christ. Father, I pray that your spirit would work and do that which only he can do. Take these words, your words, from the scripture and apply them to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. With that, let me uh, dismiss us. Your loving Father in heaven gives you permission to be a child. So go and live as his children, knowing that he loves you, he cares for you, he will guide you and lead you and give you all that you need. I'm doing it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you next week.